Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Mack, and this is the Coffee Shop Meditations podcast. Grateful for you all joining me today for this first official episode of Coffee Shop Meditations. And again, Coffee Shop Meditations is a podcast about meditation, mindfulness, and how to infuse health and wellness into your daily life. And today I wanted to start off with my story, a bit of how I got into the meditation and mindfulness world. And close off with a little bit of a meditation of our own, a little small practice that is really useful for anyone, even if you're a beginner, you've never meditated before. This is the perfect opportunity for you to jump right in and really get into it and, and learn how to really bring mindfulness not only into your meditation practice, but bring mindfulness into your daily life throughout the day, no matter what you're doing. So to begin, try to let any distractions fall away. Even if you're driving or even if you're multitasking a bit, just try to let go of as many worries and fears as you can just for the moment. Put them aside. If there's anything that's holding you back, that you're fearful of, that you're worried of, just put that aside. They will be there to deal with later on. Just for the moment, commit to being as mindful and as aware as you can. And just take a deep breath in, filling up your belly, filling up your chest. Exhale, let that air go. Inhale, fill up your belly, fill up your chest. And exhale, let all that air go, letting go of any worries, any fears. Inhale, fill up, bringing in fresh energy. Exhale, let go of any bad energy, any thoughts, just become aware of your own body. And that in and of itself is a meditation. That in and of itself is bringing mindfulness. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't even have to be sitting. You can do that walking around. And that's the simplicity of mindfulness that I really love to jump right into it. Mindfulness and meditation is something that I can utilize at any moment, at any time during the day. It's the reset button that I have in front of me to use whenever I need it. And this tool has become something I've used in my daily life, but it wasn't always that way. And I'll take you back to how I grew up. I grew up in a Orthodox Jewish environment in a little suburb town of New Jersey, not far from New York City. My dad worked in the city. My mom worked up in Rockland County, New York. And I went to a local Jewish day school. Um, but it wasn't a typical day school. It was a male-only religious Jewish day school. And half the day was spent on Judaic studies in Jewish classes. And half the day was spent on what we call secular studies or regular English, math, science, history studies. And that in and of itself isn't unusual necessarily. A lot of people in, that grew up in Christian homes go to separate schooling as well. Um, the, the thing that made it different was the lack of connection I had with the outside world. Uh, we didn't have internet, even though the internet was kind of a newer th thing growing up. It, we didn't have any internet or we certainly didn't have any TV. We watched some movies, but very few, very filtered by my parents and what we watched. 
And just in general, we were very disconnected from the outside world. The focus of our lives was Judaism. And, you know, there are 613 commandments, and that takes up a lot of time. One of the biggest commandments is to study the Bible and to do a lot of Bible study. And that also, I'd say even more than half the school day was spent on Jewish subjects. So most of the kids kind of went along with whatever was going on, didn't question too much, didn't really have too big of opinions on anything. And I always found myself kind of on the edge, always hanging out with the kids that were a little bit the troublemakers and the people that didn't really play with the rules. And I wasn't a bad kid. I didn't break much rules, but I kind of identified with that group. I always had this side of me that exists to this day of questioning and asked, like, why would we do this? Why would we do that? And from, I'd say, about sixth grade and on, I, I had this mindset of different than most of my classmates to try to not be too religious, try not to look too religious. I, there was something about the religion that I, I didn't really like. And uh, I'd learned later on what, what that was about. But at the time, I just knew you know, that just didn't didn't suit me. There was something about the intense religious experience that just it didn't call to me. It didn't speak to me. And uh, a lot of my sixth grade, seventh grade, a lot of my middle school was spent kind of making a little bit of trouble, but not too much trouble, walking out of class and spending a lot of time just mingling in empty rooms with the quote unquote trouble kids and hanging out after school. And again, nothing too rebellious in nature, but not really doing what the other kids did, which was spend time studying Bible, spend time studying the Talmud, spend time at home with their family. I didn't spend a lot of time. I'd go away. And that had a lot to do with what was going on in my home and a lot of the insanity and abuse happening there. But it was very different than what my friends were doing. And when it came time to choose high school, we didn't have a high school attached to our Jewish day school. So we all chose different high schools. And a lot of them chose more religious schools. And one of the things that I made up my mind was I'm not going to choose those kinds of schools. And it's funny, in hindsight, the schools that I was choosing from for myself were very, very religious, but everything is relative. So I went to an out-of-town school. I spent my ninth and 10th grade there, dorming there throughout the week. I'd come home on the weekends. That's where I really started to understand how secluded I was growing up. I met kids that grew up, this was in Queens, so I met kids that grew up in the city, in New York City, and, and were exposed to a lot more than me. And I realized the scope of that closed-mindedness that I had lived in for 14 years of my life. And uh, it, it was quite eye-opening. But putting that aside uh, for a little bit, I in 10th grade, I started developing anxiety. I had trouble sitting through class without taking breaks. I had trouble going on subway cars or taking car rides for more than half hour at a time. And I started seeing a therapist in 10th grade. I was probably about 15. And he introduced me to the concept of mindfulness and meditation. We did some really basic and simple breathing techniques. He taught me the four-second or square breathing. And we didn't really address underlying issues at that point. I don't know if I was capable of addressing the abuse and the trauma that I had grown up with, but I had developed a little bit of a system of mindfulness and meditation at that point. And 
what was fascinating about it and why I really enjoyed and continued to use it later on in my life is because it worked for me. And over the next few months of treatment, I really started letting go of some of that anxiety. And it really helped me to sit through classes and to, like I said, ride public transportation. And uh, eventually it, the, the anxiety in and of itself kind of faded away. And I, I didn't meditate on any level for a while. It took several years to develop an actual meditation practice. But the foundation was there. I started to see what the breathing and mindfulness could do. And that was a new concept for me completely because before then I had zero concept of my body and how oxygen relates to blood levels and how relaxation works and relaxation with the nerves and the muscles, like none of that stuff made any sense to me. And I ended up switching high schools twice after that. 11th grade, I went to a school in Dallas, Texas. 12th grade, I went to a school in Waterbury, Connecticut. All these were gender separate, Orthodox Jewish high schools, all dorming schools as well. And that was a lot again to do with just trying to be away from my, my parents' home because that was a mess. And 11th grade was kind of more the same, just breaking out of that system, trying to just discover more of the world. That's how I would characterize my high school, pretty much, of just trying to find the outside world, so to speak. I had seen this incredible jump of where I was growing up from zero to 14 and then discovering this world from 14 to 18. And discovering the world just meant seeing things outside of my little Jewish community that I grew up in. And throughout those years, I struggled with depression a lot. With that anxiety that I had in 10th grade came huge bouts of depression. My grades dropped off severely. I would sleep through classes. I would not show up for testing and didn't really care about it anymore. And that was something that characterized throughout my high school was this on and off depression that I had. Feeling like I didn't know who I was. The more and more I discovered about the outside world, the more and more I realized how little I knew about myself, how little I knew about understanding what I enjoyed and what I liked, and more so how I fit in with the world and what other people wanted to see from me. In 12th grade, I went to the school in Connecticut, which didn't have many rules, and I pretty much had free run to do whatever I wanted to. I started picking up drinking, and I would drink at least two times a week. Most of the time, the goal at least was to black out or to get really, really drunk. And that was my first escape into the world. That was my first like, whoa, this is like something that really helps me just let go of everything. I don't need to think about my life at all. And all my problems go away when I'm drunk. The, the drinking and the alcohol was the first way of just me completely letting go of, of everything. And I don't know if that's necessarily different than any anyone else's experience. A lot of my friends were doing the same, and I'm sure there are people that did the same as well. They didn't necessarily see it as a, as a problem at that point. I just saw it as a more of a response, if anything. The more and more I discovered about what I call the outside world, or should we say the real world, the more and more I realized how ill-equipped I was to handle things. I had an okay education compared to some of my friends that I know today that left 
the Jewish community. I didn't have any understanding of what it meant to, as a teenager, to like talk to a woman. Again, like I had zero sexual relationships in my life to that point because I was going to boys only schools where they actually enforced you to not talk to women or to other girls. And I had zero understanding of who I was and what I wanted to do with my life and what I enjoyed. And so while most people in regular high schools are busy choosing their colleges and taking their SATs, I spent my 12th grade just drinking and just trying to escape my little bubble that I was in. For post high school, what a lot of Jewish kids in my school did is go to Israel. And I, I don't exactly know why it is. I don't know if it's the smartest decision in Israel, the drinking age is 18. And as a byproduct of that, a lot of people end up going and breaking out of their shells for the first time in their life. And for me, spending the entire 12th grade drinking, this was a great way for me to keep going and escaping. I went to my first rave and concert in my life in the summer of my 12th grade. And I really started to feel like I was, okay, like I've arrived. I finally made it outside of the world. At the same time as having this drive to be different, to separate myself, I also had this drive to find identity in the Jewish world, which was something that was really hard for me because, again, I didn't really relate to a lot of the practices that a lot of the, my friends were doing religiously, but I also didn't want to feel like an outsider, and all my friends were still Orthodox Jews. I was going to an Orthodox post-grad program in Israel, or I should say post-high school program in Israel. So I, I, I had this kind of like tug-of-war with myself over that first year out of high school with spending a lot of time drinking, spending a lot of time in town, and also trying to like reel that back in and try to like do more a lot of what people were doing, which was like Bible study and Talmud study and Jewish law study and, and, and prayers and like you know, Israel's a very, Israel's a very special place for, for Jews. And I'd, you know, I'd visit the Western Wall one hour and then the next hour I'd be in town, like drinking and trying to hook up with girls. And the dichotomy that I felt that year was, you know, like this insane. I kind of felt like in the middle of this tug of war. The more and more I struggled with it, the more and more I got deeper into this pit of misery. I thought my problem was only alcohol. And I did try to get sober that year. Um, which was important, and I am sober today. What I would have wished to tell myself at that age was, you're allowed to be yourself, that religion and Judaism doesn't need to hold you back from just being yourself. And unfortunately, 19-year-old, 18-year-old me didn't really understand that. So I spent a lot of time in depression and in anger at myself for not living up to the expectation of Judaism of the rabbis and of my school. And each time I'd go out and try to kind of express myself, I would come back feeling guilty and come back feeling shamed about my behaviors. And, and that was a cycle that went on. I ended up joining Alcoholics Anonymous that summer, spending some time getting sober. I switched schools that summer and went to a new school in Israel, which was a bit more open-minded, but still very similar characteristics of religion. And I, again, I like struggled with identifying and finding myself. You know, I, I was sober for a large portion of that year, but 
I never really discovered myself. I was in a lot of shame and a lot of misery for what made me myself and not being able to be part of the school, be part of what was going on there. I didn't relate to Talmud. I didn't relate to a lot of the prayers. I didn't relate to a lot of the Jewish laws. And I found that I was losing myself within this system of perfectionism, of self-hate. In that system of, of Orthodox Judaism, it's really hard to find a loving and tolerant and compassionate higher power. The higher power is often portrayed with the heaven or hell mentality that it's good versus evil, and if you sin, you're destined to hell, as well as a lot of perfectionism. Like I mentioned, there's 613 commandments in the Bible, and Judaism demands that you keep all of them. As you can imagine, a 21-year-old really had a hard time with that, or a 20-year-old had a really hard time with that. A lot of my friends ended up staying longer to study in Israel, and I left after two years, thankfully. And I came back home to my parents' home in Jersey at 20 years old, just, just really confused. I had relapsed again on alcohol, which again was never healthy for me, it was always about blacking out and drinking as much as I can, and, uh, and I just was miserable. I tried this sober thing, I tried this Jewish thing, it wasn't working. I started leaving the community a bit once I got back from Israel. I started discovering that perhaps my journey was going to be not within the typical Orthodox Jewish community, which again, was still pretty much the only community that existed for me up until that point. The thought of not following the Torah or the thought of me not keeping every single article of the Bible was, was really foreign to me. And at least if I did that, it came accompanied with a lot of guilt. But I was at my end point. I, I realized that, you know, this wasn't working for me anymore. And I needed to find a different way. And I finally got sober once I got home. And I was away from that culture of drinking and partying. And I was starting to work on college and my undergrad and working full time. And... Within the Alcoholics Anonymous program, there's a big emphasis on meditation and on mindfulness. I started to develop a morning meditation practice where I spent some time in the morning just sitting, just focusing on my breath, reading a little bit and journaling a little bit before I started my day. And when I discovered that practice, that was the first time in my life where I really started feeling like, okay, this is me. This is who I am. This is where I exist. When I sit in my meditation, I'm able to really learn to like have this acceptance for myself and love for myself, no matter what, no matter if I kept all the commandments of the Bible or if I was completely irreligious, I was still able to sit there and be okay with myself and love myself and take care of myself and really finding that space. And I'd say the second turning point as well was in AA, they have a concept called discovering a higher power of your own understanding. And for a long time, I kind of threw that away because in Judaism, there is a like a prescribed and set God. There is no God that you can make your own, at least in the understandings that I had. If you relate more to practicing meditation and yoga as opposed to going to synagogue every day, that concept didn't exist for me until that point. 
it was only at the breaking point where I was like, this just doesn't work for me anymore. I was at a real breaking point. I was at a point where my life just wasn't working and I needed a different way. So I began to discover what if there was a higher power greater than myself that can, as they say in A, restore me to sanity. What if there was a higher power that loved me, wanted me to stay sober, and wanted me to actually enjoy life? And I, and I spent a while on that journey. I didn't leave the community right away. I spent, in fact, another year and a half in, in the community, slowly finding my own path. Did some volunteer work, which was really powerful for me to get out of my own head and to help out and to be in a different role in Judaism than I had ever been before. And uh, spent a long time just discovering myself. And the final turning point was when the pandemic hit. And at that point, I was really starting to come along with my meditation practice. This was the point where I had to face the question of religion for me, which was, am I going to continue living this life where I don't really identify with the community and I don't really identify with the spiritual practices that they accept? And am I going to jump into my personal life? Am I going to jump into my personal relationship with God? And the pandemic was the perfect purview of this to let go and drop off anything that didn't work for me anymore. You know, there was no synagogue for me to go to. Everything was closed. There was no holiday or Sabbath meals to attend. I was in quarantine. And it was the perfect opportunity for me to really lean into self-love. Self-love at that point had still availed me. I was still trying to lead a religious life. I still hadn't broken out of my community in a large sense, in a broad sense. I was still living in Jersey, and all my friends were still Orthodox Jewish people. I still had a lot of confusion about who I was and what I wanted to do with my life. And the pandemic really gave me the ability to let all that stuff go. And I really had the opportunity to lean into myself. And the months leading up to the pandemic were really like a preview to what I do during the pandemic with the work that I do. I started branching out. I discovered a community called Daybreakers. A friend of mine brought me to this morning sober dance party at 6 a.m. in New York City. And uh, that was my first real experience of consciously going out and consciously meeting people of a whole range of societies and cultures and starting to learn to accept my body, accept myself, accept who I was. And over those months before the pandemic, I started letting go of a lot of those vicious cycles of shame and guilt and beating myself up and not being able to accept myself and not being able to find what worked for me as opposed to what worked for other people and what other people wanted for me. And once the pandemic hit, I had the perfect veil to just discover whoever I wanted to be and whoever I was. And it became clear to me once all the synagogues closed down, once all the religious functions just stopped in my life, that this life that I wanted to lead was not going to be one within the Orthodox Jewish world. And I packed up my bags and left in a, in a figurative sense. And I, I stopped practicing Orthodox Judaism. And, and more so than stopping the practice was starting the practice. And, and what the starting the practice meant for me was enough of this outside show. What am I going to do for myself that's going to really lean into this thing called self-love, of self-acceptance, 
of radical self-acceptance. Accepting myself no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter if I had a quote-unquote good day or a quote-unquote bad day, how was I going to really fully encompass the magnitude of how much value I bring to the table, how much love I can have for myself, how much I can really fully accept Jacob. Meditation was a large part of that. Mindfulness was a tremendous part of that. And as well, yoga was a big part of that. And I'll address them a little bit separately. Meditation, again, like I said, I had an on and off morning practice of meditation. And the pandemic, with the time that I had and with just being isolated, I had the opportunity to really lean in and I'd do so many different forms of meditation over those few months. A lot of Instagram live meditations, a lot of online course meditations, a lot of my own personal meditations. And meditation became a cornerstone for learning this self-love, learning this self-acceptance. Mindfulness as well became a large part of that time period of my life. I would shut off my phone for long periods of time. While I was working, I had my phone off and I just work on my laptop and I check social media once a day. I had a certain time between about 9 and 9.30 at night where I responded to things and there was a lot going on on social media. But I kind of put that all away and gave myself a little bit of time to be on there. I started going to sleep much earlier, starting to incorporate more fruits and vegetables into my diet and less meats and less dairy products. I really leaned into this process of slowing down. The world was sending a message to us that it was time to slow down and time to rethink how we went about our day. Meditation and mindfulness became huge parts of that. And the last portion of that was yoga and the gyms all closed up. I'd been doing exercise and workouts and training for quite a while at that point. I had done calisthenics, classic calisthenics exercises, push-ups, pull-ups, chin-ups, that kind of thing. Then I switched over to a lot of floor exercises, a lot of uh, balancing, arm balancing exercises, handstand practice, and I switched over to uh, using gymnastic rings, and I was doing a lot of work on the gymnastic rings, which was incredibly, incredibly satisfying. Um, and all that stuff kind of faded away because all the gyms were closed and a lot of that stuff wasn't really accessible when I was quarantining and I found yoga. There was a lot of these yoga lives and Instagram lives with yoga happening and I kind of just jumped in and I kind of looked at it and from the get-go it was kind of easy. I put up my mat and that's where I was and the breathing practice and the movements of it and the mindfulness of yoga became something so important and incredible for me. And it went right along with this practice of compassion and self-love. I really had the opportunity to spend several months really diving into that practice. And as horrible and as painful as the pandemic was for so many people out there, for me, it gave me a window and an opportunity to really lean into myself and really discover myself for the first time. And it was really cool because as the world started reopening again and as people started seeing each other, it was kind of slow and it was kind of a progression. So for me, this was really the first time me learning who I was and realizing that I have a voice start to come out with other people. And it was really helpful because everyone was kind of subconscious about their sel themselves and, you know, how to see people for the first time and 
you know, six months or five months. And uh, it, it was perfect opportunity to really open up and to discover the world, which I had honestly not really seen to that point in a very slow and gradual way. I moved out of that place in Jersey. I moved to Brooklyn for a little bit and I spent some time there. And then eventually I moved down to Miami where I live now. And over that time period, I had the opportunity to graduate school. I finished with honors and my degree in psychology. And I was really, really proud of myself. I was really, you know, discovered this whole practice of self-love and self-care. And as well, at the same time, really making headway on things that I wanted to do professionally. And I left New York. New York was not the city for me. Too fast-paced, too too many cooks in the kitchen would be a good way to put it. And I moved down to Miami. I grew up, kind of half grew up here. My grandparents lived in Hollywood, Florida for several years, and I visited them many times. So Florida kind of felt like a natural transition for me. I had a lot of friends living down here and had the opportunity to fly out to Costa Rica and Guatemala to take part in a yoga teacher training. And the yoga teacher training was something that I hadn't expected myself to do. I, I kind of expected myself more in the mindfulness meditation psychology route, uh, holistic psychology, as opposed to becoming a teacher. I had a friend of mine that became a teacher and I never really saw myself going that route, but the opportunity presented itself in a really wondrous and cool way where everything kind of fell into place and it was kind of clear for me to go and do this. And I, I went out there, I got my training and I came back to Miami and started settling down, found myself an apartment, discovered a whole community of people that were in a very similar place, practicing very similar things to me. And that I found really cool to find a community of people that were still discovering who they were, what they wanted to do professionally, what they wanted to do with their spiritual lives. And, and it was also very affirming to know that I wasn't the only one out there struggling with finding their identity, finding who they were. It wasn't just the Orthodox kid from that little Jewish town that felt very self-conscious and felt very judged about his personality. There was a whole world of people that were doing that. And as well, I discovered this community of health and wellness, of people that were really honest and really passionate about learning how to live healthy, sustainable lives. And that's been a tremendous blessing for me in the past nine months of having this community of people that really are leaning into this process of leading a mindful life, leading what I would call finding their coffee shop meditation. And the coffee shop meditation, again, is that practice of finding balance in life, finding what works for us in our own personal lives, in our own personal way, whether it's our diet, whether it's our exercise, whether it's our meditation practice, whether it's our careers. And a, and a coffee shop meditation isn't perfect. Like I said in the intro episode, there's some noise around. We can get distracted very easily. There's a lot of moving parts. And we accept all those things. And we realize that life isn't going to be perfect. And that it'll take time to build this process. And we'll have to swap things out. <laughs> the best example I can think of is you have this really cool and expensive espresso machine. And if you've ever seen an espresso machine, there are many different parts 
If you've seen the inside of an espresso machine, it is a very complicated process and you constantly need to be changing parts. You constantly need to be fine tuning it, cleaning it out. It's not an easy machine to keep up to date on maintenance. It's not an easy machine to fix and to, and that's kind of life. Life is this machine, this complex machine. When you open it up, you know, on the outside, we try to look all rosy and fancy and look like everything is okay. And then we open ourselves up and we realize that on the inside, we have a lot of baggage that we're trying to let go of, a lot of trauma that we're trying to heal from. And it's it, it, it looks ugly on the inside. And the process is not about denying that. The process is about accepting that and working through that. And so for me, that process has been very rewarding in trusting that I'm being guided to where I need to be and move into Miami and my apartment and my career and everything around that so far has directed me in that direction. It's really shown me that this process of life, of leading a life that I can really accept who I am and what I want to do is accessible for me. It is there for me to take. I've discovered along the way that what I want to do more than anything else in this life is to help other people discover that, discover that they can, in fact, heal from their traumas because we all have traumas and we all have things that hold us back, that we can face ourselves, we can look ourselves in the mirror and say, I loved you, and that we can lead mindful lives, that we can lead lives that are full of awareness and acceptance and love and tolerance for ourselves. And one of the best ways to do this is the meditation practice. And over this series, I want to incorporate several different meditation practices from different people across the spectrum of the health and wellness world and to find something that works for you. And if my form of meditation doesn't work as well, there's a thousand other kinds of meditations that we can all lean into and find the coffee shop meditation experience of finding that balance, finding the things that work for us finding the tools that we need to fix our own personal machines. And again, going back to that espresso machine reference, if you've ever seen espresso machines, a lot of them look very different. And they also need very different tools to fix them and very different parts. So naturally, if we try to compare ourselves to other machines, quote unquote, we're going to fail because we're putting the wrong pieces in the wrong places. What works for my machine does not necessarily work for his machine or her machine. So to close out this episode, I just wanted to start to introduce the concept of meditation, start to introduce the concept of breathing and breath awareness, and give you a basic tool of meditation to use whenever, wherever, and however. So even if you've never meditated before, this is your first time, or if you've tried meditation before and, and you don't think that it's something that really helps you or works for you or that you can't sit still, you can't quiet your mind. This is the perfect practice to learn how to do that. So take a moment and try to find a quiet space for yourself, or maybe pause this episode and come back to it later in the day when you have a quiet moment. And just a couple tips for the meditation practice. To begin, it's best to find a place where you can be undisturbed, where you can find a comfortable seat, or you can even do this lying down. Do this in a chair. If you're in a chair, try to have your back nice and tall, your feet placed on the ground in front of you, and feel the ground under your feet. 
or you can do this cross-legged on the floor seated. Whatever it is, make sure you're comfortable. And again, find a tall spine if you're seated and just start to check in with your breath. Is it shallow? Is it deep? Is it long or is it short? Start to breathe in, become more aware of your breath. And rather than try to let go of thoughts and to force the mind to be blank, try to instead focus on something else, right? Because the brain always needs something to focus on. It'll always be focusing on something. So either it can, the brain can lead us and tell us what to focus on, or we can lead the mind and show it what to focus on in a very compassionate and loving way. So start to breathe, bring that awareness to the breath, inhaling and exhaling. Inhale, take a deep breath in, fill up your belly, fill up your chest. Exhale, let that all go, all the way down to your belly, letting go of all the air from your body. Inhale, fully filling up your belly, filling up your chest. And exhale, let that go. You can slowly and gently close your eyes. Becoming aware of the sound around you. Maybe the sound of the AC or the heat, depending on where you are in the world. The sound of my voice. The sound of your breath. Maybe the sound of other people around you. Now start to bring your attention to your breath. Take a deep breath in, filling your entire upper body with air, fresh air, fresh oxygen. When you get to the top, hold it for a moment. And then exhale, let all that air go, completely all the way down to the bottom of our stomach. Inhale, fill up all the way, filling your belly, filling your chest. Exhale, let all that air go. One more time, fill up your belly, chest. Exhale, let all the air go. Start to find a natural pattern of breath. And with each breath in, start to find more stillness more calmness. Start to let go a little bit deeper of any thoughts, any worries, any fears. With each breath in, we bring in more awareness, more positive energy. And with each exhale, start to let go a little bit more, a little bit deeper. Inhale fully. Exhale fully, letting go a little bit, scanning the body to see if any parts are holding any amounts of tension. The hips, the knees, relaxing them down. Lower back, belly, relaxing. Pulling the shoulder blades back, relaxing. The neck, the jaw, relaxing the ears, the nose. The eyebrows, the mind completely relaxing. Take a deep breath in, 
deep breath out. And if your mind wanders, just gently bring it back with compassion, with love and radical self-acceptance. Back to the breath. Deep inhale. Deep exhale. Drop away anything that doesn't exist in the here and the now. And as you inhale, picture some light coming in with the breath in. As you exhale, picture some darkness leaving the body. Inhale fully. Exhale fully. Spend the next few moments just listening, just being aware. And if a thought comes through, notice it, accept it, and let it move on. Notice, accept, and let go. Gently start to move around, coming back to your body moving your fingertips toes, maybe taking some head circles, and gently finding your way back to the present moment. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a very basic meditation, practice of self-love, of self-care, of self-compassion, the practice of breath awareness, coming back to our bodies, coming back to our breath. And this practice is available at any time for us to use whenever we need it. It's there for us. If we're ever feeling stressed or worried or anxious, just spending a few moments coming back to the breath, coming back to our bodies and being committed to listening being committed to understanding what's happening inside of us. And we'll continue to go through concepts of health and wellness and learning how other people learn to encompass this practice of self-acceptance, of self-love, of self-care. What that looks like for others and taking a little bit from everyone and learning from everyone in how to incorporate practices of self-care and self-love. So thank you again for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, then you know someone that might benefit from this podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe to this episode if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. If you can give this a five-star review, I'd greatly appreciate it. And until next time, 
try to incorporate these practices. Maybe listen to the meditation again and utilize it at some point in your day. And we'll see you back here again very soon. But until then, have a great rest of your day or night, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Namaste.